Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. One of the themes throughout this podcast has been thinking through things intentionally and not taking for granted the idea that the way we do things is the best or that we know all there is to know about a topic. With that in mind, I decided to dig into artificial insemination protocols a little deeper. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but are we skinning it the best way? Do different cows require different protocols? In a game that's often 50-50 at best, are there things we can do to up our chances of success? That's what today's episode is all about. Let's dig in. Thanks for tuning into the Black Herford Chronicles for another episode. I've got another exciting guest that I know is going to just fill us with all sorts of information about things that most of us are already doing, but I know we can all be doing better. So I'm going to let you, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of talk about uh, what you do and what your background in this industry is. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Bobby Strecker. Uh, I serve as a district sales manager for, for ABS Global um, overseeing Nebraska, Colorado, uh, Southern Wyoming, and the Western half there of Kansas. I uh, originally grew up on a small uh, cow-calf operation in Lexington, Virginia. Um, you know, currently reside here in Northeast Colorado in a small town called Holyoke with my wife, uh, Shauna, and our daughter, Carson. Um, I guess for me growing up, you know, we were, we were very much an AI and embryo transfer program. Uh, that's pretty much everything we did. And, and really, for as long as I remember, we never ran a cleanup bowl. Um, really? So even pretty, in the cow-calf pretty- side of things? Nope, just uh, AI'd everything, resynced and and AI'd again. Um, seemed to work pretty well. And and one thing that allowed us to do that somewhat was Virginia. It's a lot smaller acreage, um, and with that, having three uh, three brothers, mom and dad. Dad was a vet, and uh, we were all able to AI, and so it was pretty easy, you know, in those small pasture settings to to run cows into AI, and so. Uh, much different than, you know, the big country that we run in here, here out West. But, uh, well, now that I know yeah, you're from Virginia, I feel a little bad for complaining about Nebraska humidity. <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, I still say probably one of the coldest days of my life was, was probably back there in Virginia, just because 10 degrees back there is pretty darn cold. I can't with, even uh, imagine. Humidity and seems like you're just wet all the time. So, <laughs> but no, grew up there, cow-calf, uh, heavily involved more so in the uh, Angus Association, uh, Junior Angus Association, and and things like that. Uh, following high school, um, I went to a junior college in Kansas, Hutchinson. I uh, was a part of the livestock judging team and then finished up at Colorado State. Uh, graduated there in 2015. Um, before I joined ABS, uh, I actually went back to Hutch and Helped with the livestock judging team. They had a small cow herd that I managed and and taught a couple classes. So um, I've been with ABS now for six years. Uh, pretty much kind of, I guess, have lived in Holyoke that whole time and served pretty much the, I guess, that same area of Nebraska, Colorado, 
uh, Kansas and in Wyoming. So I'd imagine you see a lot of interesting things working for ABS because they have their toes in everything. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of the things I probably enjoy the most is just how different everything is from a from a day to day basis. Um, you know, it's one of those deals. It's pretty seasonal. You know, there's times of the year where you're, you know, going full board, just kind of breeding cows or helping reps breed cows. And um, other times where you're traveling around, just seeing progeny. And um, so really enjoy that. There's certainly never a dull moment and it always changes from a day to day basis. Well, let's dig into some of the AI stuff. I know there's a couple different types of protocols that exist. Can you kind of talk about what those are and help us understand how to choose as a producer, which is going to be right for a particular operation? Yeah. So um, if you would look uh, anywhere in any AI stud uh, catalog, or um, if you go online to the Beef Reproduction Task Force, uh, they put together a list of AI protocols or synchronization protocols more so. Um, and they've been around for a, for a long time now and, and really haven't changed much. Uh, when you look at that list, um, there's, you know, a bunch of different protocols that could work uh, depending on your situation. Um, the ones I'll probably hit on are probably the most popular, uh, maybe provide, you know, the most ease. Uh, and are the most well-known out there. And in the first one would be, uh, you know, a seven-day co-sync seeder. Um, and this would be more for a fixed time of, of if you're, you're worried about time or some labor, um, you know, you're putting all the seeders in on the same day, pulling them the same day, you're AIing on the same day. And so ultimately you have three times through the shoot for those cows. And really with those, you know, a couple of the things that go into play uh, that are needed um, you know, GNRH, a cedar, uh, prostaglandin, um, and then somebody, an AI tech or yourself to be able to breed those cows. Uh, that's one that from a time standpoint um, is pretty short. You know, from the time you're pulling that cedar on cows, uh, you're looking at 60 to 66 hours after that, you're going to AI. Um, you know, ultimately, the probably the simplest synchronization protocol that's out there just one shot of prostaglandin um, to those cows, and, and then you just watch uh, for heat, and you're going to breed off of heat. Um, sometimes those heifers or cows respond to that shot of prostaglandin. Sometimes, sometimes they don't, uh, just depending on where they're at in that cycle. Uh, but if you're looking for probably the cheapest route um, and one that can provide the shortest time before you're going to breed, uh, that's one that you can certainly look at. Um, you know, the other one for, for people that are, are set on heat detecting, um, you know, there's a seven-day cedar, you know, following of pulling that cedar and giving that prostaglandin, you know, you're going to heat detect for a few days, then between 72, 84 hours, you're going to uh, mass mate there at the end. Um, so those are two that are probably on more so on the cow side, mature cows uh, that are most widely used. Um, there's probably the most data surrounding those as well. Um, and what's just everybody's the most familiar with. I have a cedar Heifers question for you. Protocol. So we always hear that cedars are reusable. I've never had the guts to actually do it. What are your thoughts on that? Um, how much is a pregnancy worth to you? Well, beyond that, time? just yuck. Like it would be my <laughs> job to clean them. Nobody else would do that. Yeah, uh, it'd probably be a, don't want to get into trouble. Um, 
You know, I know people that do reuse them. You know, the biggest thing is making sure they're cleaned, uh, they're dried, they're stored properly. Um, you know, the biggest thing that I, I guess, hesitate pe telling people to reuse them for is what if you cause some infection um, and things like that. And so are they reusable? Probably for a second time. Certainly no people that do. Um, just making sure they're clean and, and well cared for as soon as you pull them out um, to be able to reuse those. And if not, you know, you might cause yourself and set you back at least a cycle, maybe a couple more. And so the cost of a cedar is continuing to go up. Um, it is an expense, you know, when you're going to synchronize and set things up. But I don't know of anything else better to synchronize cattle, um, especially on mature cows, and move up that calving window to, to have a tighter one. And so when you start to look at that, and let's say you take a a $14 cedar. So over two years, if we're use, reusing them, you know, seven bucks a year, if you're causing some infection there, you know, how much is that pregnancy, that 21 days at least, you know, worth to you in terms of your program? So that's where I kind of, you know, how. Well, an additional semen too, if you're not catching yeah. on the first one because you've introduced something into that system you're out that additional semen straw as well. So, yeah. Which is I, probably more I, than 14 bucks. Yep. So I hesitate telling people to reuse them, but there are some. It's just make sure you care for them properly as soon as, as, soon as you pull them out. Good to know. Um, protocols on the heifer side are a little bit different. You know, there is the seven-day co-sync cedar as well. Uh, timing in terms of when you're going to AI after you pull that cedar is going to be shorter. Uh, they're going to show heat there uh, just a little bit sooner after that. And so instead of, you know, on a fixed time, instead of that 60 to 66 hours, you know, you're looking more at, uh, you know, 52 uh, to 56 hours. there. So a much tighter seat. window there. Yep. They're going to show a heat better um, or quicker sooner after that, you know, and in here later on, we can discuss, you know, some different things in terms of fertility and the age of those cows and things like that. Uh, you know, two protocols that we see a lot um, in our industry, and, and one of which I, I highly recommend is the 14-day cedar on heifers. Um, for us, that seems to, when they are showing estrus and you're going to breed, those heifers, just as a group, are showing estrus in a tighter window. Um, seems like there's always a better response. One thing with the MGA or the 14-day cedar, it does take more planning. You know, on the on the seven-day cedar, you're looking at seven days, you know, plus those that time there. So ultimately, you're looking at nine to 10 days after you pull that cedar or after you put that cedar in. The 14-day cedar, it's not just 14 days. You know, you're looking more at uh, about 30 days from the time you put that cedar in or start MGA. And so it takes a lot more planning. Um, the biggest thing we get is somebody calls there at the beginning of May and says, yeah, I'm, you know, we're looking to breed around the 14th or 15th of May and want to do the 14 day cedar. It's not going to work. Um, you know, your, your best option there is either breed later or move to the seven day and, and work with that. And so the seven day still works really good on heifers. Um, just seems over time, we maybe prefer the, uh, the 14 day cedar. 
some of the things and perks about the MGA is it's much cheaper. You know, MGA is mixed in the feed or uh, fed that way. It's more fed. Couple keys to that is making sure they're consuming. Um, see this a lot of times when heifers are developed, maybe in a feed yard, uh, they're fed in a bunk. Um, some guys try and mix it in there with their cake and and pasture feed it. But if you're going to see a wreck, it seems like that's coming off of the MGA, um, just because the consumption's not there. Or a few heifers are getting kicked out, and so things like that are are things to keep in mind, I guess, when you're coming to look at those those two protocols. I mean, MGA works great. Uh, there's a ton of people that are using it, uh, get along with ex excellent results. Um, you know, the cedar again, it's it's more costly. It's more costly um, with a 14 day cedar. There is no chance of reusing the cedar. Um, so those are some pros and cons there, but those are two that I probably uh, see being used and are the most effective when it comes for the heifers. Anything special with those second calf girls? We know, or at least in our operation, those are our cows that struggle the most, right? The ones that are, are still growing themselves and giving everything to that calf. Is there anything, any special considerations to help them? No, there's, uh, you know, nutrition is probably the biggest thing there. Um, you know, with those heifers to try and keep them in the herd. There's a lot of times, and, and what we see is, is there's a lot of people that AI their heifers. A lot of times they're easy to access. Um, maybe they're de being developed. You don't have to sort calves off of them. Uh, to me, AIing those second calvers is probably, you know, the most beneficial. So when you're AIing them, day zero is when you're, you know, you're going in to breed. You give those second calvers or those first calvers, two-year-olds, another chance of getting bred and still staying in that window that you're looking to looking for uh, for your cow herd. And so I highly recommend any of the synchronization protocols, you know, more so on the seven day. Uh, there's a new one that came out here just, uh, I guess, a couple of years ago. It's the seven and seven sync. Um, and it seems, you know, what we're seeing is, is there is a very good estrus response, um, you know, using that protocol. And, and what it is, it is a 14-day cedar. Uh, day zero, when you put the cedar in, you give them a shot of prostaglandin. Day seven, you run them back through the chute, leave the cedar in, give them a shot of GNRH. And then day 14, you're going to pull the cedar, give them a shot of prostaglandin, and then breed off of that. Um, when you're doing that protocol, what we're seeing is, a, you know, once you pull that cedar, you always have some early heats. Okay. Um, with the seven and seven, we're seeing a higher percentage of early heats, it seems. Um, so just make sure I, to me, when you're using the seven and seven, I recommend heat detecting uh, with that. Um, but it seems to get a really good response rate. But then again, it goes back on those, on those two-year-olds is in order for them to stick, nutrition has to be good. You know, those heifers are still growing, they're still maturing, and then they have a calf on side, at side as well. So. So it seems like the biggest consideration here is really going to be how much time you've got to devote to this, how much labor you are able to put into it. Is that right? Yes. And that's, that's key. I think uh, when you're choosing the AI and, and choosing to use a synchronization protocol, just make sure you take the time to do it correctly. Uh, follow the steps because 
because every chance when you you know short it just one bit, you're lowering it, you're lowering your outcome, uh, lowering those chances of getting more bread, and and ultimately that's what we're trying to do is is get more cows bred in a shorter window. Mm-hmm. So. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see people making as they're going through this process? I think rushing it, um, you know, making sure you have the facilities to do it as one, um, you know, but, but again, taking the time, make sure you give the correct shot. Okay. Um, we see that a lot is where, you know, different shots are mixed up a little bit. Um, you know, as you can see on, on cows, if you give the wrong shot up front, you know, that one, the, the drugs are a little bit switched in terms of how they're given on that seven and seven. Um, so you can kind of move into that, that protocol actually, but uh, that's one of the key things is, is making sure you give that the right, the right drugs at the right time. I'm sure um, around here we're AIing about the same time we're backgrounding. So my fridge has probably 12 different possibilities <laughs> in it right now. I could see that sneaking up on you. Yep. It, it happens more times than you think, but um, yeah, making sure you have those, those right drugs and, and given the timing of it, um, you know, making sure you have the correct facilities, you know, a couple of the other things, and, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but just from a management side of things is, is make sure your cows are in just in good shape. Um, you know, vaccination protocols, make sure you do those far enough in advance uh, so there's no effects there. Um, make sure they're in good, good nutrition. I mean, and that goes for pre-calving and post-calving. Um, that's extremely important uh, as well. And so that's probably some big things. The other things uh, when it comes to AI and synchronization, make sure you have somebody lined up to do it if you're not capable. Make sure you have the semen. Um, <laughs> there are times where you show up and maybe it's the wrong semen. Uh, maybe you have to run down and do it because a lot of times the the AI technicians they are setting aside uh, a time to come do that, but they're also you know set on a schedule. Maybe they have a couple others to do that afternoon or or whatnot. So, well, and I know when you're in the heat of the moment and you're digging around through that semen tank and it's open and the cows are bawling and you know maybe it's seven a.m. because that's what your time protocol is, so it's barely light out. It can be hard to slow yep. yourself down and grab that right straw. Yep, it's, it is key. Um, always check that. And then, you know, post-breeding, I guess some, some things that we see is transportation after breeding. Um, you know, recommend doing it from, you know, if you they could walk out of the chute and if you're hauling them a distance or something, you know, loading them on a truck and, and taking them, um, that's ideal. But from day zero to day five, you know, try and do transportation there or wait as long as you can, at least 45 days, um, because there is some some loss there associated with that stress. So what about coming in? This was one that I was wondering just this fall, thinking about, well, should we bring them in overnight and then dry lot them before we do it? Should we put them on hay, but then their feed has changed right before we do it? What's kind of the best as you're going in? It depends. I mean, with heifers, we see a lot, and I guess it depends on on the time when you're breeding them. Um, You know, guys that are, you know, trying to bring them off pasture or 
they're going to grass and they they end up wanting to breed on grass. So they go from a feedlot setting where they're being fed constantly to grass right before the AI. And a lot of that times, no matter what, heifers go out on grass and they graze, they get exercise, they walk. Um, they are losing some weight, no matter what kind of grass you have. And so that certainly affects it. You know, in terms of breeding, bringing those cows in, you know, a lot of times guys are bringing them in the morning of, you know, and, and sorting there. Um, I don't see a big difference between bringing them in overnight, bringing them in in the morning. Uh, it seems like both both have worked well. I just try try to keep them on a similar ration, you know, <clears throat> leading up to breeding and through breeding as well, uh, just to maintain, you know, their plane of nutrition instead of dropping that off. Yeah, that makes sense. We um, recently talked to a post-grad out of UW, which I know I, I went to CSU as well. So I know we're supposed to boo here, but she did her whole thesis on uh, the reproductive microbiome and the importance of stasis and the way that'll just get thrown off so easily. Yep. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Try and try and keep it, try and keep it normal as possible. And you know, a little bit of roughage there, you know, if you bring them in the night before and, you know, that's not, I don't think going to have much effect, but if you continue that long-term, then maybe you'll see a little bit of a difference. This episode is sponsored by Philip Carpenter and PLC Farms over in Breckenridge, Missouri, where they are committed to offering high quality black Herefords. Homo or heterozygous, they've got all the bases covered. And with genetics like C Miles Ahead and Red Killer, they're definitely worth looking into. You can chat with Philip about their program by giving him a call at 660-646-4794 or email him at pcfarm1, that's the number one, at gmail.com. Any other tips for kind of improving your success chances? No, the... I mean, I, I can't reiterate enough about just following the protocols and and really when it comes time to do it, I, I would say, uh, you know, seek some advice. Um, you know, from an ABS standpoint, there's uh, there's district managers like myself throughout spread throughout the, the U.S. And, uh, you know, we have a reproductive specialist there uh, that lives there out of uh, Sioux Falls and um, we have reps that are extremely good at what they do and uh, very passionate about it that can help them. And they're spread out through every state. You know, there's, oh, 25, 26 there just in Nebraska. Um, and so they're all willing to help. Uh, and so seek some advice uh, to help go through those steps or answer some questions um, to make sure it's done properly. Well, we've kind of hinted at this a little bit and tiptoed around it. But let me really try to dig in a little bit. How much does overall cow health, and we're talking, you know, body condition score, their mineral health, all of that kind of stuff, how much is that going to play into your success with AI? A lot. Um, I guess that's the that's the easy answer. And, you know, going into AI in general, there's, there's so many different things, uh, you know, kind of like a checklist that go in there. And every time you check a box, your your chances of having a successful breed up increase. Every time you don't check a box, it just it decreases. Maybe it's a percentage point. 
maybe it's two percentage points. Um, cow health, I mean, the biggest thing is making sure they're ready to cycle, uh, especially after calving. And and we can talk about replacement heifers. You know, those are the ones that are the most fertile and uh, probably going to cycle the best if they are mature enough. Um, but as we get into those two-year-olds and, and mature cows that are raising a calf, you know, that body condition score as they go into calving, you know, is crucial in terms of when they're going to cycle. Um, you know, their body condition score after and their nutrition after calving, you know, is going to more so affect their, their conception rate. Um, well, and that's so got to be hard for the spring calvers because that's usually when you're at your roughest. Yep. And so, you know, hopefully going on the grass, coming in there, grass is coming up, that extra nutrients um, helps there. You know, a little bit of supplementation as you're going into going into breeding, um, starting that uh, certainly helps that as well. But that's the biggest thing. And that's why we probably see decreased uh, AI breed ups, you know, just on those mature cows versus, you know, those virgin heifers that don't have a calf at side. Well, and I would think you would also see decreased breed up, even if it's just natural service. Yep. You should as well. And, you know, and not necessarily over, you know, let's say you want to have a, a 60 day calving window, not necessarily over that group, but that first, you know, those first couple heat cycles are are pretty, pretty crucial. And especially, you know, if, if we're talking a 283 day calving window or calving or gestation length, um, you know, you, you really only have 80 days, I guess, to get them bred back. Well, we recommend, you know, postpartum talking around 40, 45 days, uh, before you're going to breed them, introduce them to a bull, you're cutting your time in, you know, in half. And so that, uh, the body condition score, you know, mineral program, again, just making sure they're on some sort of a mineral program, you know while they're pregnant, while they're calving, you know, post-calving as well. Um, I don't know the statistics in terms of that, but it's a, it's a big number in terms of the influence there. So. How about deworming? Do you see that parasites play a big role in fertility? I think parasites have a, have a bigger role depending on where you're located. Um, you know, we're, we're in pretty dry country out here. You know, you start talking about back in the Southeast, um, or back in the east, you know, there's much more, you know, of an impact that that has. But yes, uh, I mean, it does have an impact. It's just overall health of them. It's, you know, all of those, the the nutrition, the the deworming and parasite control there, the mineral program, um, all those things there. It's it's just checking that box again. It's you know making sure that those things are covered. Um, so that you don't inhibit the ability for those cattle to get bred. Um, and this is maybe just a, a personal opinion here. You know, a lot of people or the majority of people that are trained to AI that are confident in their ability to AI and have done some uh, for years, majority of those people all put semen in the correct or the same spot. Um, it comes down to all those other things of semen quality of the cow, the cow health. Uh, that really dictates in terms of of what's going to get bred there on that first service from AI, um, as well as you know what the bull breed up's going to be. So we've seen a a big influence, I guess, from nutrition this past year. I mean, 
you know, a lot of the West is in a in a pretty bad drought. And in just making sure that those cows in the are in a proper body condition score, um, you know, looking from a, a four or five uh, body condition score when you're going to breed. And it's pretty hard when you're having to do that from adding hay or or other kind of feed resources to make sure they're there. So. Well, and I assume the opposite is true, right? You get too fat. Yep. Uh, harder to breed and, um, you know, they might lose some weight as you get out on pasture or, or things like that. And so, yeah, that optimum body condition score is, is good. You know, when it comes to heifers, I, I actually probably prefer if they are, you know, preface that by saying if they are on an increase in nutrition um, and they're gaining weight, you know, I would actually probably prefer to breed one that's slightly thinner versus too fat. So as somebody who doesn't AI, but has dug around in there, you know, feeling around and trying to learn and preg checking and all that kind of stuff, I will say that I think those ones are the easiest to feel it out and to know where you are and to get your placement correct. I agree. So how about ideal ages? You've talked about that there's some different protocols for heifers. Is there an ideal age for finding success with AI? Or are there different success rates even as those ages change? Yeah, so, you know, we see probably the, uh, you know, your replacement heifers, those young heifers, or if they're mature in cycling, are are probably the most fertile. Um, We see those just because also probably of management. Um, Probably the easiest to get bred and see the highest percentage of AI uh, success rate there. you know, as we discussed there and, and talked about there earlier, those two-year-olds with their first calf at side, you know, definitely that is where we see the biggest fallout. And I think you see that whether that's with AI or natural service bulls. Um, you know, again, they're they're still growing, they're still maturing, and yet still they have a calf at side and need to raise that calf. And so just from a reproach standpoint, that's kind of put on the back burner. Um, so that's where we see our, our biggest fallout. Uh, probably the poor success rates. And then you get into mature cows and and just from a management standpoint, you know, all those are really kind of blurring together and and merging together with probably your second best from a success rate standpoint. Um, Percentage wise, you know, I think the national average is sitting there hovering around 50% from an AI standpoint. We have guys that'll consistently be there in the high 60s. Um, we have guys that uh, hit 50% and they're very happy with that and and should be. Um, you know, you have 50% of your cow herd bred on one day. Uh, and so that's that's pretty big. And um, I don't know any bull that's going to get 50% bred on one day. So, you know, that's that's something key there. And so I think from a success rate standpoint, um, you know, you just have to have some expectations don't go in expecting to have 90% AI bred on the first service. Um, that's just, if it happens, write it down, kind of throw it out the window because um, it's probably not going to happen again. I'm so glad you said that though, because I've seen people new to AI or kind of newer to the industry that go in not understanding that it really is kind of a 50-50 and they get so disheartened. Yep. And and I think with with management, I mean, 
being above above 50 percent when you know when heat detecting and and really being out there that's easily achievable i mean if you're going through these steps and cows are in good shape your mineral program's good uh you know all your vaccinations and everything are are up to par um you're going to have a, a better success rate than 50 percent um but if you're expecting it year in and year out to be sitting at 75 percent you know that's that's a lot, and and you can hover around seventy or the high sixties, and and we do see that uh, with those guys that are you know heat detecting and AIing and and everything is is checked off that list. But just just be aware there are going to be some good years, and there are going to be some bad years, and that's another thing we see is guys are are sitting there clicking along and and doing really well, say fifty five sixty percent on that AI, and one year comes in and they're they're sitting at 40. Um, nothing changed. You know, let's say the, the semen quality is good. The same guy was breeding them. It just happens. You know, sometimes when you're mu- you're messing with mother nature and um, it just doesn't always work out. He didn't warm his arm up, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't need to do a few more stretches. <laughs> so so uh, I wanted to ask, and I hadn't thought of it earlier, but semen tank storage. I've heard some interesting things about do's and don'ts with just how you store your semen tank and how that can really impact your semen quality in the long run. Anything you can share on that? Yeah. So, you know, in terms of storing your tank, I would definitely store it in somewhere that's pretty clean and dry. Um, I wouldn't leave it by the chute year, year round. You know, uh, for me, uh, have the tanks sitting here in the garage. Um, you know, don't store them directly on cart or on concrete. You know, whether it be a pad or something, place that underneath so your tank never gets damaged. Um, you know, the the other thing for me on on tanks is, you know, we have some ABS representatives. You know, a lot of the semen companies do that go around and and fill nitrogen tanks. Um, it is, you know, for me, my tanks in the garage, I'm liable for if they go dry. Um, you know, it's not the person that comes and fills them. You know, it's it's us. And so, you know, weekly I go and check my tank. Um, you know, I get a measuring stick, dip it down there, see what the measurement is. And just keeping track of that, because although there's tanks and they have different storage, you know, the whole nitrogen for, for certain times, um, over time, tanks go bad, and we don't know when that's going to happen. Um, there's tanks that are brand new that go bad two or three years later. There's tanks that are 30 years old that are still holding just fine. And so making sure you check those regularly to see, oh, this tank is losing nitrogen just a little bit faster. Um, I need to keep an eye on that one. But when it comes to storing those and taking care of them, keep them in a clean, dry area. Um, Try not to dent them, scratch them, you know, throw them around as you're doing things because all those affect the, you know, the life of that tank. Um, you know, the neck plug that's that's going up there. If that neck breaks, okay, inside the inside the tank, if that that breaks in the, your tank's done. Um, it's not going to hold nitrogen. I would get the semen out of there as soon as you can. So uh, being very delicate and treating them. Uh, well is is good because it's a pretty big investment for a tank and then depending on what you have in that tank 
is even more. How long do you have on something like that? If the neck breaks and you've got to get your straws moved to a new one. I would, I would do it rather quickly. Um, I don't know the time. Fortunately, it has not happened to me. (laughs) I would Um, think you better be moving. (laughs) Yeah, I would, I would do it as soon as possible. I don't know again, you know, what that time frame is. Um, yeah, as, as soon as you can. If you have another tank, go on and get it out. If you have a neighbor with a tank, go and get it and, and start transferring some semen. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other thing with, you know, just with tanks in general and growing up, um, we always had the tank sitting in the backseat of the pickup. You know, wherever we go, we, we buckle it in and yep. <laughs> we're good to go. You know, uh, really the older I get and and uh, working here with ABS and, and things like that, just liquid nitrogen safety. Um, so I shouldn't liquid- like go out with my kids and fling it across and we all laugh at how neat it is. Yeah, you know, I used to take naps <laughs> up against it. And so um, with... With that, I mean, the liquid nitrogen displaces oxygen that's in the air. And so let's say by chance that tank tips over in your back seat, let's say uh, by chance getting a car accident, you know, it's not going to be long before you suffocate, uh, displaces all the oxygen there. And so, you know, if possible, try and try and put it in the bed of your pickup, um, you know, try and have it outside the cab or maybe keep the window rolled down you know, but on top of that, just being burned by it. So. Well, something I should have asked you earlier when we were talking about cedars for a minute, and and maybe it's just because I'm female, but I always think about the need to be safe with those cedars as well. And gloves. Is that something that you guys recommend? Is it, how big of a deal is that? Always recommend it. Um, Recommend wearing gloves when you're handling the cedars. Uh, and especially when you're handling the drugs, um, you know, prostaglandin, especially it's, it's pretty big. Um, you know, if you ever run into somebody that's been affected by it, I'm sure they will reiterate it a, a thousand times of, of wearing gloves when you're handling those things. And, and ultimately I know it's not always the case, but, you know, prefer, they probably do not handle them. Um, especially maybe if you're, if you're pregnant. So as well. So, uh, just, wearing gloves especially you know for females but but uh, males as well just it's big just from a safety standpoint for yourself um it will have an effect on you so i caught the last time we did it i caught a dog running around with a cedar in its mouth still haven't seen anything weird but i've been watching yeah they're uh <laughs> expensive chew toys yes but- <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we had a <clears throat> had a uh, a couple boxes of cedars that showed up to my house uh, here a couple of years ago, and the the dog got a hold of all those boxes. So. <laughs> I don't know if you should expect more puppies or <laughs> how that works, but <laughs> well, so. any last advice that you would give us, or or resources that you would want to send us to, and then. And in addition to that, if people want to find a technician in their area, where can they go to find that as well? Yeah, so, you know, there's a there's a lot of resources out there when it comes to 
reproduction and things like that. The the Beef Reproduction Task Force, I think, is a is a very good thing to look at. Um, can answer a lot of questions for you uh, from a protocol standpoint. You know, there's people there and contacts you can call as well that are a part of that group. Um, you know, a lot, and, and especially there in Nebraska, um, really blessed with a very good extension uh, program there. And, and we've worked a lot with uh, Dr. Rick Funston, uh, whether it be research projects there for, for UNL or, you know, he's visited with some producers that we've had as well that have maybe struggled in some areas from a repro standpoint. And so uh, he's very, a very good resource and a lot of different states have some good uh, extension programs as well. Um, when it comes to finding a technician or, or anything like that, so our directory in the back, there's contacts of our, our district sales managers. Um, you can contact them. Uh, they can put you with the closest rep uh, there directly. Also, you can call ABS, our headquarters there in Wisconsin, um, and they'll connect you with a district sales manager or the local rep as well. Um, whether it be ABS or not, you know, I know there's a, a lot of a lot of different studs that have representatives out there that, you know, just as a whole, we're here to help, um, here to try and get more cows bred and, and try and answer the questions that you might have. So that's uh that's been the biggest lesson for us moving our ranch and, and relocating and everything is totally different. It, take advantage of those resources. Our industry, I think, is a little unique in our willingness to help each other and desire to genuinely see everyone do well. Everybody wants everybody's breed up rates to be great. Everybody's got some nutrition knowledge that they want to see you do well with. And it's silly of us to not take advantage of that. Yep. And that's where sometimes, I mean, we all have questions, you know, sometimes, you know, a term of barn blind, you know, when you're looking at your cows or calves, um, ask a neighbor to come look, Hey, do these seem like they're in good enough shape? You know, things like that. I, again, yeah, we're in a small industry. Um, but it is, it is great to see just how giving everybody is. And especially if you're young, sometimes it's intimidating. Um, but I think just from a ranching perspective, they're probably some of the most giving people and they really want to help uh, young ranchers and young people get involved and, and stay in it. So, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of educate us on what our different options are as far as AI and how to make the best go at it as possible. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on here, Jennifer. And um, yeah, if there's any other questions, uh, certainly feel free to reach out to us and we'll do what we can do to help. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>